Welcome to It's Real with Jordan and Demi. In New York, I'm Jordan Edwards, alongside Demi Ramos. What's going on, Demi? Woo, hump day, and we have Tao. Yes, we have Tao Win on the show. I've been a big fan since the beginning of her career. She's released different types of music with different bands and different collaborators over the years. And she's got a really cool project we're gonna talk about here. Let's bring her out. Tao Win, everybody. Tao, what's going on? How you doing? Good to see y'all. Good, good, good. So we're having you on because you are have been documenting the uh, the creation process of your newest album on Substack with this little blog journal type thing. Tell us about that process. First of all, we do have the address for it. I hope you can put that up. Uh, TaoForTheRecord.community. You can go on there and see uh, the process of Tao creating her latest album. So tell us about that process, why you decided to do it. Sure. Well, it was, um, you know, it was in response to, of course, the more urgent um, dilemma uh, for touring musicians, which is that we can't tour for a, a long time. At the, at the time I started for the record, um, it didn't look like I would be able to tour until March of uh, 2022. And um, I wanted a way to be in touch with fans and supporters and um, to 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 stay present uh, and um, connected in a way that also served um, my future goals, which is to make another record. you know and I, I released one um, in May of 2020 called Temple and uh, it was it was pretty rough not to be able to tour it. So the next best thing is is to just, head back um, to the drawing board and, and start making that next record. And I, and I wanted to be able to share that with people who are interested. Excellent. Excellent. Now, when it came to actually um, putting this record together, how did the documentation process affect your writing process? Because if you're taking time out to make these little videos and little journals and things, did it feel distracting or did it help you help you actually kind of discipline yourself to create the record? Well, you know, I'm I'm still very much in process, and I um, historically have had quite a discipline problem. So it's it's actually really nice to have this external accountability, where I'm sure to be doing something in service of the record, when otherwise I would be watching Chopped, for example. I would be watching Chopped. I'm probably watching Chopped right now on the side. I. Me too. <laughs> you prefer Chopped or Beat Bobby Flay? Uh, chopped. Yeah. Hey, Bobby Flay, I appreciate when I've seen all of the Chopped and I'm waiting for the next uh, new episode. So it's kind of a, you know, like a buffer show. It's a filler. I don't, I wouldn't say that to them, you know, personally, but I, I or in person, I don't know if I'd ever meet, I get a chance to meet Bobby Flay, but I, yeah, it, it's, it's not as satisfying. Are you much of a cook yourself? I, I aspire to be, Yes. Food. I'm. Re I really love food, and and I grew up um, with uh, with a family who were amazing cooks and chefs, and uh, and so that's um, yeah. That's my that's my other primary pastime. We know your music. We know. I mean, your music speaks so much for itself. What is something about you that maybe your fans may not know? 
<laughs> um, that uh, I, I grew up a pretty big sports fan, just watching it, not playing it. Um, and uh, some may know this, I can um, beatbox and hum at the same time, but a lot of people can. Yeah. Yeah. And you've beatboxed before in your music. Just once. Just it was once. a novelty. It was like a, uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to. And, the, you know, they they recorded it and then it became part of that song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you've been part of that song like it's Voldemort or something. Like. Right. <laughs> well, I just don't, you know, I don't want to be reduced to it. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's Absolutely. more. There's more. There's so Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was looking at your, your the the for the uh, record journal, um, one of your trademarks is this vast collection of of stringed guitar type instruments from all over the world, lap steels and instruments from Asia and from Central Europe and all over the place. I don't know if you have a balalaika in there, but I'm sure you played the balalaika at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is how do you acquire gear? Do people give it to you? Do you go on eBay? Do you collect it on your travels? How do you accumulate your gear? Um, it's a combination. I'd say primarily I I find them on tour, and it's one of uh, one of the great rewarding sides of of traveling of getting to travel so much as you can pick up you can pick up instruments and, and things you'd, you'd otherwise never run into. The problem is getting it back home safely. Yeah, I can imagine so. I can imagine so. Now, I know that, you know, you, you came out with Temple. I mean, it wasn't that long ago and you're, you know, working on this album now. And, and you traditionally, you've been one of these three to four years between albums kind of people. So what's up with this whole, with this, like, is it just, do you have a lot of time in your hands right now? So might as well make another album. It's uh well, I can't tour. So, you know, typically yeah. the, the, that three or four years, um, it takes that amount of time because promoting and supporting the album upon release takes almost two years if you're lucky. And, uh, and then you need, you know, I need another year, year and a half to make another record. And it's tougher for me to write on tour because tour is such, um, though I miss it and appreciate it, you know, more than ever. Um, it's a deeply exhausting, um, primal way to live. Well, I, um, I, I've seen you a couple times, saw you at the black cat in DC about 10 years ago mm -hmm. in the kill rock stars days. Um, and you're, you're a Northern Virginia person, right? I am. Did you born grow up in, you grew up yeah. in like the Falls Church area ish? I grew up in Falls Church. Yeah. Like born, city born or area? East. I'm a DC, like. Awesome. I, yeah. uh, seven corners right around okay. there. Yeah. Okay. That's and a this whole is a different world now than it was when you were a kid. I can't imagine. I, um, I, I haven't been back in a while, but it, yeah, it seems, it seems like, uh, there's a, a ton of stuff happening and, uh, there's way more Whole Foods. There are more Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you I know, I grew up. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I hear. Well, I heard somewhere that you don't drink before shows. You're not like a big. You're not into all. You know, despite being, you know, in in music, is that something? When did that happen for you? <laughs> you always been a clean living person, I guess, as well. Yeah. No. 
No, I've been, that's just, uh, those, those are just hard learned, um, roughly acquired lessons that, uh, if you tour for long enough, you, you know, it's pretty clear when you got to tone it down and, um, mm. and hopefully you can. And I, it was years ago where I realized that, um, I, and I can't remember who it was. I think that there's this informal network of mentorship that happens with people who are more experienced on the road and, you know, if you go open for a band, you might pick up life tips that really help you um, keep your career going and healthy. And, um, you know, I think it was the Avid brothers who they had, they said they, they, um, Seth Avid had told me that he didn't drink before and actually very little on tour to, to preserve his voice and also to just put on a better show. And, yeah, I feel like sober, sober performance in general is better than drunk performance. I think so. You know, mm -hmm. and at a certain point, you really respect the audience in in the ways that you should have from the beginning, which is people are paying hard-earned money to come to your show, and you have to present the best show that you can, and you can't do that if you're a little bit drunk or more a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, going back a little bit to your your childhood growing up in, in Northern Virginia, that's a very international area. I, I mean, it's the suburbs of DC. So people are, will know that there's obviously going to be people from all over the world there, but it also is a interesting uh, cross-cultural uh, exchange, even within your elementary school. I'm sure you had people from all over the world, um, whether they're first or second generation in your elementary high school, things like that. What, kind of um did that whole international experience that how did that affect your music because you do have sounds from all, all over the world in in your albums you know that's really interesting i hadn't considered that before i've always um that's such a music journalist uh you jump to conclusion thing you grew up <laughs> in an international area so that's why you play crazy <laughs> instruments from all over the world you know right right that's um I didn't encounter a lot of that. You know, I grew up um, in primarily, well, I'll say this. I think the main influences that I that I have in my music are attributed to what I grew up listening to and what my older brother was listening to and, and what I could get on the radio. So there's, um, my brother listened to a lot of hip hop and I, and, and I listened to WPGC and um 93.9 kiss a lot but i also listen to the oldies you know 100 big oldies 100 and uh mm. you know uh, all, all of the pop music that was happening so i didn't get more into a global globally informed palette um until i i went to college and i, I took a lot of um music ethnicology courses at william and mary and that's when I, I started. I was more uh, exposed to to sounds from all over the world. Do you remember that first song that you wrote? That I wrote? <laughs> you, like the the first song ever that you wrote? Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you remember I, that, Sal? I do. I remember. Um, Is it still decent? Oh, yeah. I mean, it stands up so well. <laughs> and, uh, the Truly, the first one was a book report for Charlotte's Web, and it was a rap song. And I recorded it on a little cassette uh, player at home. And then I, when I, when it was time to present it, I just pressed play. I brought it into class because I was too shy to perform it at that time. 
being. Uh, Did you at least like lip sync it, perform it along with the recording? Yeah. No, I was, I was like, I just pressed play and I was like, oh God, this is it's funny. It's funny. We don't trust little kids to, to memorize things. I remember there was this second grade teacher that everyone wanted. Her name was Miss, Miss Kessler and Mrs. Kessler, Miss Kessler uh, let her classes perform Wizard of Oz and like plays for kids, but they mm -hmm. would always like had a tape and they would just like mouth to the tape because no one trusted them. Right. But now uh, probably with TikTok, little kids are way, way more advanced. And well, when sea shanties become a trend, you know, anything's up for, uh, <laughs> you know, anything can happen. On your, on your uh, sub stack, on the, uh, on the, for the record blog that you're doing, one of your entries is a resource page for Stop Asian Hate and um, what's going on right now in the United States and all over the world, frankly. I'm curious to know about, you know, you come from this Vietnamese family. Were you, how, I guess for lack of better, I'm just white dude. I'm sorry for the, how rough this question is, but how Vietnamese was your upbringing versus how Americanized did your parents want you to be? It was deeply Vietnamese, uh, but, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties in Virginia. So there's, um, you know, when people talk about, uh, bifurcated existence and having to exist entirely in two different worlds and trying to um, reconcile them or not being able to that's that's what my experience was and the emphasis on assimilation the racism overt and um and you know more in the realm of microaggression was so deeply ingrained in in everyday experience and i grew up you know my mom had a laundromat when i was a kid and i grew up working there and in fairfax virginia and um i just you know there you just if you grow up in a refugee family in an immigrant family probably now and definitely then you just uh you bear witness to a lot of things and you absorb a lot of um, indignities and deeply infuriating, deeply dehumanizing things. Um, and, you know, and you push on. And at a certain point, you decide you are no longer willing to just take it or let your family members or your community just take it. What does a day in the life of Tao look like? Aside from music, you know, you wake up, what's the first thing you do? It's funny because you actually do have an entry on your on your <laughs> stack about your daily schedule. Oh yeah, because it's so hard to have one. I think, you know, I spent my entire adulthood touring and that's an imposed structure, which I really appreciated. And when I, you know, over the years that when I've been home from tour, you're home for a few days, a few weeks, maybe a couple months at most and it's it's like not enough time to establish another routine but it's also really uh disorienting because you're not sure what you're supposed to be or what your worth is or you know it, it gets deeply existential uh but so i'm always trying um to figure out a routine and then in the past year it's been very necessary uh i wake up and i try to exercise and meditate and um uh, and then I write. Do you have a fancy Peloton bike? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have old running shoes and creaky knees. So I try to go on a run or do you're based in, in 
the Bay Area? Is that, are you, I knew you mm -hmm. were based in the Bay Area. Yeah. So yeah. I think of the hills. Do you have lots of a hilly area? I do. I know. Yeah. That's why it's so rough on the knees. I, I think now I have to walk way more than I. Um, There's a reason they made stair climbers, stair steppers. And that's you know, right. Yeah. The, bikes. Those remind me of tour. I try to stay off them until I'm on tour. And then they're, you're in they're, the hotel they're, gym. They're, they're like hotel gyms, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there's a sadness to them. So I try to there's avoid sadness them. Sadness to hotel gyms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move on, I, I didn't quite kind of I didn't quite get fully into um, the whole uh, issue with Asian hate crimes and things. Um, you talked about the 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 kind of microaggression racism, and when it comes to uh, you know Asian cultures, we know what those are without saying them. Um, and that's always been a part of of your identity is this this you know American and also Vietnamese culture, and you actually made a documentary uh, five or six years ago called Nobody Dies, where you actually went back to Vietnam. Uh, can you tell us about that whole experience and kind of give a primer about the documentary for people who aren't familiar with it? Sure, sure. Um, and. First, I'll just say, I'll say that, you know, what's been happening lately, in addition to the longstanding, more subtle or uh, more of this taunting or, or um, those kind of microaggressions that I'd referenced, now it's, you know, it is overt and, and yeah. it's violent. And it's, you know, there's this very specific intersection of, um, racism and misogyny that, that Asian women experience. And, and we are seeing that uh, bear out in the most terrifying ways. Um, I will say the documentary, so I'd never been to Vietnam and, um, and this was in 2015. Um, I was invited with my band to perform in Vietnam for um, the commemoration of uh, the normalization of relations between us and vietnam and i wanted to bring my mom back and she hadn't been back since um 1973. uh so it was all, it was about 43 years since she'd been back and it was a deeply intense very emotional trip and uh is this is it still available for streaming somewhere or it is yes it um i i taped a, a kind of a um an introduction um, to address it. Uh, it's available on my link tree at the moment. I, it, what, it had aired originally on PBS, um, but uh, for now, it's it's at um, it's available on my different social media handles. And the link tree is tau tau tau. Tau tau tau. In two thousand nineteen. You were the long-term guest host of the Song Exploder podcast, and which is something I really want to talk about as someone who hosts and talks to people about their signature songs. What did you get out? Of, first of all, let's back. Why, how did you get involved with that, and why do you decide to take on that role? Sure. Well, you know, I had originally been a guest, um, I believe, in 2016 or 2017. I was. Yeah, you did. Uh, Astonished Man. That's right. Which yeah. is a great song, by the way. If you haven't heard Thank the song, you. look up Astonished Man. Thank you. Um, 
And Rishi Hirway, who's um, who's the creator uh, of Song Exploder, um, and a, a great guy, and a, um, has become a good friend of mine. Um, he got in touch. He was planning to take a year off of Song Exploder to work on his own music and pursue different projects. And he asked if I would be interested in guest hosting for the year. And at that point, I was um, I was off tour because I was making my record. I was start, I was starting to write Temple, so it was an amazing opportunity and great timing to um, to to take that on. It was so um, I'm so glad that I got to do it. Well, it sounds great. What and what did you enjoy about? Because I just love talking to artists about their signature songs and breaking it down. Was it kind of like a fangirl geeky kind of thing aspect to it too? There was that, and there was uh, just an an overall fascination for people's work routines and processes. And that was, you know, I, I love hearing about how people spend their day and how they figure out what they're going to do. And especially with creative work like this, when you have to motivate yourself every day. And there's no there are no real consequences when you don't, you know, mm. un until there's nothing. Uh, what is your musical process? It's like sometimes there's a lot of different sounds. It feels like you're coming from a lot of different places in your music. I can't pinpoint an exact genre. What is your like specific process in writing? Uh, it depends on the song. I think um, I, I've, you know, in years past, uh, would just start writing a song on an acoustic instrument. But over the past few records, I've definitely built more beats and gotten into more um electronic music and 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 building beds you know within logic or pro tools and then writing from there uh it's a combination it depends on the nature of the song and what i think um it is calling for and a lot of that has to do with lyrical content so i'll I'm, i'll keep a running uh journal or documentation of of lyrics or ideas for songs and then so what you're doing for substack isn't too dissimilar from what you do anyway in terms of organizing you know mm -hmm. I, I joked about your extensive collection of instruments and if you played the bell like it before and all this kind of stuff but but um is there an instrument or instruments that you like really like the sound of that you haven't learned how to play or that you would like to incorporate at some point i do <laughs> i have um it's either a an incredible or terrible habit of buying things before I know what I'll need them, what I'll, I, before having an exact idea of what I'll use them for or even how to use them. Um, but there, I have lately bought more synthesizers and I, I just got the Arturia Microfreak and um, that requires a digging in, you know, that requires like a, a, a time spent just exploring sounds that I haven't, I haven't had time for yet. We, I know that you're, you're still in the process of making this new album. What, and I, we got sketches, we got little, you know, tastes of lyrics of riffs on guitars and things like that. But, but how is it coming together in terms of the overall sound? You mentioned synthesizers. Are we going to hear like synth pop songs or? <laughs> I don't know if I would say synth pop, but you'll definitely hear synthesizers on them. I, I love building beats with um, 
a combination of muted stringed instruments and synthesizers and drum machines. So I, I, there'll be more of that. But it's also been nice, you know, with um, within this past year to to get back on acoustic guitar and and figure out different tunings. I, I think there will be more uh, a combination of of how I started writing music and and what I'm into now. And you know, it's a it's in a very ongoing process. And um, I've been quite forthright with with people that. I'm not sure where where it will all lead. Eventually, it will culminate in an album, but I I take a while. You know, there there are meandering paths that eventually lead us to the, the songs. Have you ever done any or considered doing film or TV scoring things like that? More uh, classically um, arranged music because because you do have that background, you do have that skill set. I um I would love to. Uh, to get into more scoring. I, I, I have been in, in the past few months starting to enter in that arena uh, more officially. So that's exciting. And that'll well, that's exciting. Up. Yeah, that is exciting, especially knowing what kinds of sounds that you produce and how good they would match up with hype. I'm saying how good they would match up with like, and I don't even know what, what that would sound like, but I, I think it's a good, a good application of your sounds. I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Um, you you have this this huge this huge studio um and you're known for your your band the get down stay down and i've noticed when i was looking up uh you know articles uh, blog posts things like that for the past couple of years you're always quick to point out that i am part of the get down stay down that my band is called the get down stay down how much of of your process now is how much do you actually interact with your bandmates any of your bandmates while you're making music now, especially because you can't tour? You know, it's been a very solitary um, process. And and it always is that when I'm when I'm beginning to write music uh, and write songs. I, I spend a long time with them before I open them up to any kind of collaboration. And um, and so it's unknown. It's unknown what I, I think um, I'm really excited to see what I can do um and there's plenty of time to open it up further down the road awesome awesome well we look forward to whatever comes of this project you you have no release date for it yet and it just kind of how it, it ends when it ends it ends when it ends or when someone tells me it should be ending okay uh, yeah. <laughs> i got you. I, I like external pressure you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone to kind of put the thumb down and that's yeah, right. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. That helps. Or do a little. All right, let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tal, for talking to us. Really appreciate it. Good luck on the new album. And uh, of course, you can go to talfortherecord.community to see Tal create this record and the sounds and the thoughts and her schedule and different resources and and everything you could want to know about Tal Win. All right, Demi, I'm out, you're out. Uh, and so as always, you can go to popdust.com for all our shows, past and present. Uh, we're up to what, 70 shows now, which is which is a lot of shows. We had some great artists on. And so you can check out our archive. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Edwards Studio and Demi at Demi underscore Ramos. Uh, we will see you next week with Earth Eater. Until then, see you later.